Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from April 11, 2021, Pastor Marshall Robb looks at the many ways that parenting, sports, and culture can shape our identity and how God's Word invites us to see ourselves through a new and freeing lens. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Here's Pastor Marshall. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to those of you who are online. Good morning to those of my friends who are outside missing you guys this morning. And good morning to you guys here. Um, This is the Sunday after Easter, right? So like Easter is like Super Bowl of church life. One of the Super Bowl. This is the Sunday after. And I'm wondering why they chose me to speak this weekend. But then it came to me is that the greatest golf event in the world is going on this weekend. And I am a lover of golf. All right. So the Masters is going on this weekend. Who is excited for the Masters? Yes. All right. I know there are a few of you out there. It's the best golfing event if that is actually goes together, best golfing event in the world. I have dreamed to go to the Masters my whole life. It's on my bucket list. They have a lottery system where you can apply for tickets every year. I have done it faithfully for the last 25 years, have got zero tickets. I keep trying, though. I have the faith that I will be attending at least one day of the Masters in my lifetime. I'm going to keep trying. COVID season put a damper on that just a little bit. So anyway, be with me in that. Um, I'm going to share with you, like Craig said today, some things that are very dear to my heart. I've learned about them in the last few years, and they have made a huge difference in my life. I want to start with the Bible verse. This is a little bit different than I did in the first service, but I want to start with this Bible verse, and after I finish, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You all will reply with, thanks be to God. So here's the verse. It's in Romans 8, and Paul is saying, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to God and ask him for help with us today. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for the cross that we celebrated last week so we can experience your unconditional love. Thank you for being with us today, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so our youth are at risk of hating the very things we most want them to love. In an effort to set our youth up for success, we may be having the opposite effect. Here's some examples. 12-year-old Emily wants to be a swimmer. So mom and dad sign her up 
to be on the local swim team. The swim team consists of two-a-day swim practices, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. before school, then 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. after school, five days a week with mandatory swim meets every weekend. This is also now a year-round sport for people. Example number two, Madeline has always dreamed of going to a prestigious university. Her GPA and ACT must be perfect in order to have a chance to attend this school. She must take the right classes and be involved in the right extracurricular activities. All activities, other activities, and distractions must be eliminated to have the best chance for entrance into that school. Madeline regularly stays up late into the night, making sure her homework and assignments are perfect. She hates group assignments because invariably she always does all the work herself. Evan wants to be a soccer player. So after a couple of seasons in recreational league in first and second grade, the parents get together and think, hey, I think it'd be best if we formed a traveling team so our third graders can play against better competition and not be left behind in their skill acquisition. The family will use all their vacation time, all their savings to participate in weekend tournaments. They're gone almost every weekend in spring, summer, and fall. And during the winter, Evan's team plays indoors and goes to a local speed academy to further develop their skills. Last example I have here, Stephen's mom and dad want him to know the Bible and how it can impact his life. He goes to a regular weekly Bible study where memorizing Bible verses is emphasized each week. Stephen is pretty good at it, and his parents hear about a national competition in order to do Bible memorization at the, at the competition. Winners get an, a scholarship. Stephen spends every moment he can memorizing key Bible verses. The pressure to perform is taking its toll on our youth. In an effort to set our, our students up for success, what messages are we sending to them about their identity. Okay, so I'm a teacher by trade. That's what I went to Mizzou, became a PhD, and I became a teacher. And my favorite classes to teach are about sports. I like classes like exercise physiology, sports psychology, sports sociology, sports ethics. You guys get the picture. Sports are huge in our society. John Stannard, who I'm teaching in a class, John and I talk about sports constantly for hours. He has an intense love for Alabama football. Do any of y'all know that? Alabama football, oh, it's sickening, it's sickening, all right? And I very much like every team that's playing against Alabama, all right? But mostly, I am a Tiger fan. I'm both a Mizzou Tiger fan and a Clemson Tiger fan. Uh, a close friend of mine took me to a Clemson Tiger football game 
few years ago, and while I was there, I drank the Kool-Aid. It was a great environment for college football. This year, I'm grieving on how two of my favorite teams have bad endings to their season, Clemson Tigers and Kansas City Chiefs. Bad endings. You know who, you know who Clemson lost to? Alabama. You know who the Chiefs lost to? Tampa Bay. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, he makes me throw up just a little bit. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So anyway, in 2019, it is estimated that 60 million youth play sports. And it's predicted in, by the end of 2030, 80 million will be playing sports. It's estimated that youth sports generate $20 billion in the United States alone. Globally, all sports, not just youth sports, generate $471 billion. Sports is big business. The money creates pressure, pressure to win, pressure to be really good, pressure to be all-consumed, and pressure to make a name for yourself. All right, a little bit more about me. I love golf, all right? My favorite sport. It's the best sport ever. And my favorite golfer of all time is Jack Nicklaus, the Golden Bear, if you guys know who Jack, Jack Nicklaus is. I had the opportunity to watch him play when I was 16 years old. I was at the Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the U.S. Open. And my mom and dad took us down, and my good friend was also there at the same time. And so we're following Jack around on his, on his uh, plane. And he gets to the ninth hole, and if you guys know Southern Hills, ninth hole, it's a dogleg right, goes up the hill, and there's trees on the right, and the green is elevated, and it's up by the clubhouse. So anyway, Jack hits his drive over into the right rough, and my friend and I take off running to get right next to the ball. So we're standing like right next to the ball when Jack walks up. Have you all ever seen that on TV when they hit it into the rough? Everybody runs to it to be right next to it. My son cracks up about that when I make him watch golf with me. But everybody runs to it because you want to be right there next to the action. So I'm there with Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas, and he walks up with his, his caddy. His name was Andre was the caddy. And so he comes up and he's looking over his shot and everything. And he's super focused, concentrating. And I'm 16. And I say to him, I say, Jack, hit it up through that tree, up through that gap, right onto the green. I'm serious. I said that to Jack Nicholas in the U.S. Open. <laughs> so I say this to him. And he looks at me, super focused, eyes straight at me. And he goes, can't do it can't do it. <laughs> I was like, what? And he punched it out into the fairway, didn't get up and down, made bogey, and he didn't win the tournament. But it was super cool. I got to talk to Jack Nicklaus, and he talked back to me. All right? So that really exploded my love for golf. I started playing golf when I was around five years old. I would go out with my dad, and I actually learned on sand greens if you've ever played on sand greens, all right? And so I won the very first golf tournament I played in. I was 12 years old, and it was um, 
you know, a local tournament. I played in it, and I won it. As I grew older, my love for the game continued to grow, and I used to feel a lot of pressure when I played. The town I grew up in was real small, and so we competed against all the larger schools when we played. Oh, I forgot. I have a picture of me playing there. That's me playing out at Gustin, A.L. Gustin here in town at the State Junior Amateur. And that's me in the middle with the really nice looking shorts on. <laughs> that was the style back then. Exactly. So anyway, so that's me playing in the State Junior Amateur. So I would feel this tremendous amount of pressure when I play. Lots of pressure. Um, we wanted to perform well. We wanted to go to state. The top four teams in each, each district get to go to state. Okay, and so we were all lumped together and we played against each other. We had a good team. I was usually in the top three on our team. I wanted to impress my teammates. I wanted to impress my mom and dad, my brothers, my schoolmates. My golf was my main way of getting my identity met, my self-worth of who I was. And it wasn't above me to lie or cheat or anything to shoot a good score. And if you guys know golf, golf is like this super honorable sport. You don't cheat, but I would cheat in order to try and get the approval of other people. I would go to whatever means I could in order to shoot a good score. My identity was tied to that. So I want us to examine that today. There are two equations that I've been learning in the last few years from some podcasts and some from teaching and from these classes I've been taking. And these two equations have really helped my life. All right? And my wife helped me by drawing these up for me. So let's go through two different equations. The first one is this. My identity is tied to what I do, so I play golf. My success in what I do, if I won or if I played well for the team, my success at that, and then what others' opinion of me of that is. That's where I got my self-worth from, from this performance. I've learned this other equation more recently what Craig was talking about earlier. My identity is that I'm made in God's image. I'm unconditionally loved, and I have the ability to rest in that love. These two equations are very different from each other. We can actually play sports and live in this identity that I'm made in God's image. I'm unconditionally loved, and I can rest in that love. So, let's look at this a little bit. In, let's look at this equation to begin with. Let's kind of break this down just a little bit. I have some verses here. In the beginning, God, everything begins with God, right? David tells us in Psalm 24 that all that is in the world actually belongs to God. The whole universe, our world, even you and me, we belong to God. 
God is the center of life, and he is the designer of life. He made you and me. And we are here because God made us part of his plan. God designed us to live in community with him. And we are to depend on him for life. He didn't just create us and then just leave us to do the best we could. He created us with four key core needs. And I have these. Also, my wife helped me with these this morning. We have four key needs. The first one is love. God wants to supply us with love. The second one is acceptance. Instead of looking for outside sources for my acceptance, he's already accepted us. Okay? My worth is a core need I have. Where do I get my worth from? Is it from my golf performance? Or has God already said, I'm unconditionally loved? I can rest in that love. I have a huge value. And I have security. I'm not worried about what happens to me in life. I'm secure. So we have these four key needs. Love, acceptance, worth, and security. If you remember laws, L-A-W-S, you can remember those all the time. Love, acceptance, worth, and security. Or a friend of mine said, slaw. You can put this up in front if you want. If you don't like law, because that kind of ties back to the law. All right. But anyway, love, acceptance, worth, and security, God is designed to give that to us. Okay? He's the one that truly can do that. Unconditional love, I got a couple of verses for that. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 8 also says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All right. Last thing in Romans 8, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the most famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, all of that tells me I'm unconditionally loved. You're unconditionally loved, all of us together. And then as far as resting in that love, we can simply go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I am not in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sounds like are resting to me. So again, we are made in God's image. We're unconditionally loved, and we have the ability to rest in that love. So let's kind of look at this again. So why do we go back to this equation so much? Why do we focus on this? Why is our culture so enamored with this identity, okay? We have this element in our life, and it's called the flesh. I read it earlier in Romans 8. Paul says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit of life and peace. So what is this flesh? What is this? That flesh that we got from our inheritance from Adam. Because of the fall, and we're all related to Adam, we all inherited this flesh. And what it simply is, is getting these four core needs, love, acceptance, worth, and security met by things other than God. God has designed us to get those from him, but we have this flesh where we feel like we have to get it from an outside source. So I'm always tempted, even if we went out to play golf, I would really want to impress you when we went out to play, even this afternoon. I would be tugged towards this. Okay, to try and get you to accept me because I'm a pretty good golfer through how well I play. Instead of God unconditionally loves me, I'm okay the way I am, all right, and I can rest in that love, okay? I have lived on that performance treadmill of trying to get this met through my performance most of my life, okay? You know what happens on a treadmill? How many of you all have been on a treadmill, right? Yeah. Does the treadmill ever stop? <laughs> it doesn't, does it? It just keeps going, all right? When you're done, you have to straddle and get off the treadmill, right? Okay? Because the treadmill never wears out. So when I'm on a performance treadmill and I'm always trying to impress, I get tired. I get burned out. I get irritable, okay? So when I live on that and playing and participating in sports, is it always going to lead this? I don't think so, okay? I think we go through life bouncing on those, but I've got three skills that I practice. Maybe they'll help you in trying to live out of this identity, okay? I have three practices that I do on a regular basis. The first one I do is I do regular Bible study on my identity in Christ. I actually have an identity journal that I use, and I have all kinds of drawings and stickers, and I have all kinds of verses that are right in here. The drawings, Lily uh, Apold is helping me with my right brain activities it's a struggle. I have no creative ability at all. But I have this journal that I use, and when I feel myself getting tugged towards this, I get this out, and I read this. And I read Ephesians 2.10. I am his workmanship. Some versions say, I am his masterpiece, God's masterpiece. I am justified by faith. That's Galatians 2.16. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 say, I'm forgiven. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, I am righteous. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, I'm a saint. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. Okay? Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, Christ lives in me. Christ is in me now. Okay? Christ is living through me. Okay? 
So this really helps me from time to time in order, daily actually, daily, remember who my identity is. The second thing I do is I practice silence and solitude on a regular basis. I have to get away from technology, that technology and culture is influencing me to live this way. When I can steal my mind and be silent long enough, I hear God's voice say this to me. He says this, you're okay. You are my beloved, all right? He says those things. I practice silent solitude best in the outdoors, and especially in Colorado. Colorado's my favorite state, okay? I have two great trips set up for this summer. Please encourage your students to go on those trips. They're going to be incredible. And it's a great way for us to learn our identity is to get away from the technology and get away from what culture is saying for you and believing this about it, okay? The third thing I try to do is I try to serve out of this equation, made in God's image, unconditionally loved, and I can rest in that. But I try to serve out of that. We also have, this is a student ministry infomercial today. So this uh, April 24th, we have an opportunity to go serve at Coyote Hill in the morning. We're going to go and build a um, retreat area for where they ride horses to with their veterans program out at Coyote Hill. And so we're going to build some hitching racks and some picnic tables. It's a morning activity, and it's all weather permit permitting too. But on the 24th, we're going to go to that. And we want families to come serve together. So not just the students come, but mom and dad come along. And this is also open to children's ministry. We're kind of trying to make this a family event. So families can come and serve together. The Friday email that comes out has a link on how to sign up for that. I'd love for you all to sign up and come be a part of that service opportunity. And we will be serving out of this. Not because we want to see and be, be known, but we're going to serve out of this identity right here. Okay? All right. So I want to talk a little bit about parenting now. Some parenting tips that I think will help you with your students who are participating in activities, okay? Uh, it only takes a walk to a local park or visit to a gymnasium to witness the myriad of parental anxiety and dysfunction that plays out on the sidelines. I don't know when was the last time you guys have been to a youth event, but it's something to behold, to go and watch, all right? And sports, though, have this potential to build character and perseverance and skill and a Christ-centered identity. We can do this through sport, okay? But sometimes parents are pushing so much, coaches are pushing up, the kids get puffed up, and it can become quite damaging. So parenting your youth in their participation, we don't want it to turn into who's the next Tiger or who's the next Bryce Harper or A-Rod. 
You know, both of them broke into baseball when they were 19. Or who's the next Serena Williams? She started playing pro tennis when she was 13. Or we don't want it to be about what's that next traveling team we're going to be on or what prestigious tournament are we playing in, okay? Let's try to do it out of this equation, okay? I have a couple of tips for you that can help you focus it back this way. I've came across this expert in youth uh, culture, and his name is Tim Elmore. And he discusses in some research that he's done some comments you can give to your students before they play a competition and afterwards. He says to say to them before they play, before the competition, three things. Have fun, play hard, and I love you. That's it. Not, hey, let's go out and get a triple-double today. Let's see, you know, let's see how many stolen bases you can get this week. You know, things like that. No tips or anything like that. Just have fun, play hard, and I love you. And then after the competition, say to them, did you have fun? I'm proud of you, and I love you. That's it. Say those three things. I even got a better thing for you to say. He goes on that researchers of college athletes, these researchers talked to all these college athletes, and they asked them, what was the thing that your parents said to you that made you feel best after a competition? What were those, what were the words your parents said to you afterwards? And this is what Tim Elmore, did this re- research on this. And the, the athlete said, we loved it when our parents said, I love to watch you play. That's it. <laughs> I know. Isn't that good? It's not like, uh, you, know, you know, that travel you had, I think if you just slow down just a little bit, then you're going to get it better next time. No. It's just, I love to watch you play. Nothing about you're going to be an all-star, nothing about, oh, that referee missed so many calls and so forth. All you got to say is, I love to watch you play. My niece coaches over at William Woods in soccer. After every game I go to watch her play, I just say to her, I love to watch you coach. Doesn't matter if she won or lost, I don't really care. I love how she is influencing the next generation in college soccer. Okay, I love to watch you play. Okay, so I have three more little stories I want to tell you about that I want us to focus on as we try to navigate this equation in this one. One of my mentors at uh, University of Missouri when I was doing my PhD was a sports psychologist, and his name's Rick McGuire. And I'm not sure if any of you all know him, but he was the track coach at Mizzou for a long time. And he was renowned at sports psychology. He worked with Olympic athletes. He worked with national teams in certain sports. He worked with professional golfers. So he was a renowned um, sports psychologist. And he taught us in class this equation. In a college class, he said, 
if you can get athletes to understand they are unconditionally loved, they are made in God's image, they can rest in that. They practice hard. Athletes practice hard. That's important to practice and to put time into it. But then trust who you are, that no matter how you go in the competition, you're going to be okay. And if you can get athletes to buy that, that's the best sports psychology you can ever do. Because when they feel pressure from trying to please either parents or me, the coach, or, you know, trying to please grandparents or whoever, they're going to feel more pressure to play and not play as well. But when they play from this identity, they get it. They get it. They play well. Second example I wanted to share with you. And I didn't know he was going to be here today, but Isaac Van Dorn. All right? So Isaac was in my class at Heritage about three years ago. I didn't know about Compass at that time. All right? Other than from running with Dick Madsen when I was at the university. And so Isaac was telling me one day in class, he goes, yeah, I played in the band on, uh, you know, in the auditorium for the service. I go, Isaac, I think it'd be so cool if you just broke out into a drum solo. I think you would, I mean, I think that'd be, you know, just start, you know, just go crazy during one of the songs. And he goes, Dr. Rob, and he stopped me right there. Okay, because I was kind of teasing this. But Isaac was super, super serious. Isaac comes up to me and goes, you know, Dr. Rob, that's not why we're worshiping. We're worshiping because we want to know how much God loves us. We're worshiping, and I'm helping lead that experience. And if I go into a drum solo, that's probably not going to be the right environment we're, we're creating. Boom, right out of the blue, Isaac understands this identity. So cool that he was leading out of this and being involved in the band out of this identity, not for his performance and so forth. The last example of where this is coming to play and where it's working is another student of mine, and he's in my class right now. I'm doing um, anatomy and physiology kind of homeschooling a couple of kids. And it's John Stannard. So John Stannard plays basketball, and he's on the Heritage team. It's not a very good team, I'm sorry to say. They're not, they're not great, okay? But John loves to play. He loves to play. He plays hard. He's very skilled. Don't let him hear me say that because this kind of gets into the performance part. But he's very skilled. He's very quick. He, you know, he shoots really well. He drives inside. He can shoot three real well. He wants to play at the next level. I think that's awesome. But you know what? Win or lose, he still feels okay about who he is and how he played. He played hard. He played out of, you know, who God has designed him to be. So this identity thing, it can be done if we understand this first, that we're made in God's image and we're unconditionally loved and we can rest in it. Our flesh pulls us this way, 
but we have to understand who we are first, okay? So, in conclusion, let's focus on who God says we are and rest in that love and that identity. And we can enjoy sports. We can enjoy music, art, grades, Bible memorization. We can even go back to Stephen with the Bible. Stephen in his Bible memorization. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. I'm a youth pastor. I love that you would memorize the Bible, but not out of performance. What if Stephen figures out those Bible verses are relevant to what he's experiencing in life right now? That they really do have truth. They have meaning to what he's going through at school, to what he's going through in his activities. Okay? So we can enjoy those things. We can actually even enjoy, don't let John hear me say this, but Alabama football. We could even enjoy Alabama football out of this identity. I think it works. I think it works there somewhere. Anyway, let's go to God and thank him for our lesson today. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for the cross uh, that we learned, that we focused on last week, and how much that means to us, that we are now righteous, that we are justified, that we're unconditionally loved. Thank you again for our chance to be here today, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.